We will continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Now, just by way of reminder, chapters 1 to 3 tell us about this great identity that we now have in Christ. This new people who we are, the church. We see this before and after quite vividly in the scriptures, almost like an infomercial. Before and after. Who we were, who we now are. And the chapters 4 to 6 teach us how to live out this new identity. You see, we must realize that if you are in Christ today, you are new because the gospel changes people. The gospel transforms people into a lifestyle that corresponds with this new identity. And it happens over a period of time. It does not happen overnight. But this identity is not something that we just placate to here on a Sunday in church. No, this is beyond Sunday. This is who we are. And to live this life, this new life, we need this empowerment. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we saw in Ephesians 5.18 that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And we see the results of filling after those verses. And at verse 21, we see something very significant. One of the results of being filled with the Spirit is submission. Is submission. That 521 says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now we've been looking at relationships outside the church. And we looked at the Spirit-filled marriage. The Spirit-filled wife, the Spirit-filled husband. We looked at the family, the children, and the parents in Christ. But today we look at another relationship outside the church. And it's part of our identity, who we are beyond Sunday. So let's read our text. I'm going to ask that you turn to Ephesians. Chapter 6. Today we are in verses 5 to 9. Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. Title of the message is Serving a Heavenly Master. We begin. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Christian, each and every one of you, born again of the Spirit of God, each and every one of you has a calling. You are called to serve your Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. It's part of your mission here on earth. It's part of who you now are. It's part of your identity. Now, throughout the epistles, we see Paul referencing this relationship between Christ and himself. And this relationship is one of master-servant. Christ is the master, Paul is the servant. And we see it with Jude, we see it with Peter and James as well. And so it is with you. And so it is with you that you have been born again, you are now been redeemed. 
redeemed, transferred out of the kingdom of slavery of sin into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So you have a call to serve. Christian, how is it that you serve? How do you serve the Lord? Where do you serve the Lord? Well, most often when we think about serving the Lord, we will think of here on a Sunday in church, and that's absolutely correct. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And whatever gift you have, you're to use it, serve in the strength which God supplies. Paraphrasing verse 12. So when is this done typically? On a Sunday. Where? In church. But what about outside the church? What about the identity beyond Sunday? Well, you may say to me, yes, I do serve outside the church. I do evangelism. I give out tracts. Praise God for that and continue doing it. I witness. But today we look at a different aspect of God's service that we are called to serve. And it coincides with our new identity. And one such place that you might not expect is work, is in our vocation. This is serving the Lord at work. Now, Christian, you have a calling, and the calling is in your vocation. And the Reformers understood this very well. Secular work is, in fact, a calling from God. Finding your calling in whatever it is that you do. You may be a homemaker. You may be self-employed. But you're to find your calling and do Unto the Lord in anything you do. Serve the Lord in all things. For example, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. And this encapsulates a lot of the main theme of this text. So serving a heavenly master... We have to now cross over a bridge, as the text tells us. And this is called the historical grammatical bridge. And basically that means, what did this text mean to those it was written to? So, most common in the Western world, 21st century, is this relationship analogous to employee-employer. And that is the application that we're going to make today. So you may hear me say, employee Slave, and you may feel like a slave. I don't know what kind of job you have. Could be that way. But, and you will also hear me say, master, supervisor, boss, things like that. So as we look to verse 5, it begins with the word slaves. Now, in the Roman Empire, about one-third of the population was made up of slaves. It's not uncommon to see a slave as a doctor. Not uncommon to see a slave as a teacher, an administrator. This is the way the world was. And the vast majority made up would live at home with the master. And slaves could be valued, but very often they were not valued. They were very much abused. And they had limited rights by law. And it's important to understand slavery was at the time. Now, Titus 2, 9, and 10 gives some instructions for these slaves. And it reads this, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, 
not pilfering, which can mean stealing, not showing, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every report. So doesn't the Bible condemn slavery, does it? What does the Bible have to say? Well, for that, I would recommend a resource, because we are not going to go into that deeply today. And that's the resource is a greater priority. Go to the website, Pastor George preached a message called A Greater Priority. First uh, Timothy 6, verses 1 to 2, very very comprehensive about slavery and what the Bible has to say. But I'll give you an expert, an excerpt on it. Any form of slavery that happened as a result of man-stealing is expressly condemned by both the Old and New Testament, according to the Mosaic law. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Exodus 21.16, New King James. Likewise, earlier in 1 Timothy, Paul identified kidnappers, 1 Timothy 1.10, or man-stealers. So, that is part of that sermon, and I would recommend you go there. But the reality is, that's the way it was. Paul is not saying it is right. He's not saying it's wrong. He's just reporting it out. But the Bible does say something else about slavery. And this may be a surprise to you. Do you know that all of humanity will worship and serve something? We are all slaves. There's two categories. Either you're a slave of Jesus Christ, or you're a slave to sin. Now this can bewilder you. This bewilders people. There's an instance that Jesus ran into in John. John 8, 32-36 with some religious Jews that were somewhat bewildered as well. When Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are disciples of mine. Verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Romans speaks quite a bit about this as well, particularly in chapter 6. But the Christian has been redeemed. Their ransom has been paid. And they are now not slaves of sin. They've been transferred as slaves of Christ. A payment has been made. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.20, If you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Christian, you've been redeemed from the slavery of sin. Now, as we look at verses 5 to 7, we make the application that employees are to honor and serve your employer just as you would Christ, because you're now accountable to Christ. You're a slave of Christ. You're a doulos of Christ. So let's look at this. So how is the Christian supposed to serve Christ, their heavenly master at work? We will see. Verses 5 to 7 give the answer. Verse 5, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. 
Now, the earthly master here, we make the application, would be a supervisor, a boss, or an employer. But you see what's said here? In the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Wow. I haven't always thought that way. There's been days in work I'm just trying to survive. But we're called to be obedient to those according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart. It's as if you were working for Christ. It is that you are working for Christ. Now, how would that be? We see the phrase fear and trembling. That's a reverence and respect for those who are in authority over you as to Christ. You're serving the one and true God, your heavenly master, on the job by serving a a person, by serving your supervisor. In the sincerity of your heart is to be genuine. It's to be honest. It's to be, have integrity. You'd want to do the right thing to be true, to be authentic, striving for the approval of Christ alone. Now we see in verse 6 how not to serve. Not in the insincerity of your heart. For example, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. That means, Christian, for you, that's not to put on a facade. That's not to put on a show when the boss is around. But no, we want to do the right thing as unto Christ. Doing what is right when nobody's there. Doing what is right when no one is watching. Because Christ is who we are serving. By doing this, it shows the devotion that we have to our Heavenly Master. Now, as slaves of Christ, we do the will of God from the heart. It's a wholehearted sincerity for the approval of Christ alone. If you ever heard the expression, for the audience of one. That is who we serve. And it manifests itself again. It's, that, it's from the, the vertical realm. It's Christ first. And it manifests itself horizontally in all that we do. Now, when you are serving your heavenly master as you ought, you're probably, inevitably, probably, possibly, we'll say, going to be pleasing your earthly master. But again, it's for Christ first. Now, we see a command to obey your earthly masters as we looked at in 5. But there may be exceptions. One of you, two of you, three of you may be saying that. What about if your supervisor asks you to do something that's against the moral code of Christ, against God's word? It's just plain wrong. It just crosses a line that goes too far. That's when the Christian principle must be put into place. We must obey God rather than man, because we serve God first. Now, see that in Acts 5.29. We are to submit to authority as Christians in the society. But there's a couple of nuances. We heard Romans 13, so on and so forth. There are limits and boundaries to authority. And that's another message for another day. But when you are serving your heavenly master, 
the possibility of pleasing others here on earth is very good. But we have to have the mindset of the approval of the audience of one. For example, Paul tells the Galatians in 1.10, Am I now seeking the favor of men? This can be rendered approval of men or God. Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I was reading a book by a Dominican pastor called Sergel Michelin. And he wrote this book on preaching. And he has a very, very interesting illustration that I think ties into our message very appropriately today. And I'm going to quote what he said. Now imagine the scene. You are the one in the front of the auditorium preaching a passage of scripture without your knowledge the Lord Jesus is sitting in the last row, listening attentively to what you are saying. How would this reality impact your preaching ministry? The truth is, except for the bit about the last row, there is, this is no mere illustration. The Lord is present in his churches every Sunday, listening to the preaching of the word. And as we serve the Lord here in the church, whatever we're doing, getting things ready downstairs, cutting bagels, whatever it is we're doing, we're to do this unto the Lord, our heavenly master. And when you go outside in your vocation, you have to understand that the reality is that Christ is in the office. Imagine if he's in the cubicle next to you. Imagine if he's in the truck with you. Imagine if he's in the classroom with you. Imagine if he's in the courtroom with you. Imagine all these things because he is. And he is our audience of one. Now the key to this text emerges once again in verse 7. Render service as to the Lord and not to men. Why? Well, we see an answer in verse 8. There's an extra incentive in our service towards our supervisors here, the earthly masters. Verse 8 says this, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Christian, you may feel underappreciated in your job. You may give it your all. You may want to give it your all. You may have the attitude like, what's the point? No one cares. No one notices. And I get no appreciation. And Maybe that's how you feel today. And maybe you will be rewarded on your job by your earthly master. Maybe you'll get a bonus. Maybe you'll get a raise. Maybe you won't. You see, the slaves in this text, those who is being written to, would not have expected probably all that much monetarily at that time. But we go over that bridge into the 21st century. We're here in America. We have a lot. And the Lord has open doors for us here. For me, for you, monetarily. And maybe you will, he will bless you. Maybe you will make more money on this side of eternity. He may or he may not. But do understand what I believe is being written here is you will receive back from the Lord whether slave or free. Now, there is a, this is about actions and also attitude. And I'll explain why. We understand that our God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ, Philippians 4.19. But there is something we see 
in the Scriptures. Now, what will we receive back? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does not reveal it here. But there are rewards for you, Christian. There are rewards for how you serve the Lord here on this side of eternity. Now, there is a heavenly inheritance, and once again, we turn our attention to Colossians 3.24. For example, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance that is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, I believe, speaking about eternal rewards... And this could be backed up in Scripture. Where do we see this? Well, we see this in two other places. We see this 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So one of the things that we must understand in our service to our Heavenly Master, how many of you have ever had an end-year or mid-year review? You ever sat down with a supervisor? Christian, we're all going to have an end-of-life review. And this is not, you can't get fired in this review. It's got nothing to do with that. If you are saved, you are born again, there is no condemnation. But the scriptures do tell us that what we do here on this side of eternity for Christ will be evaluated. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. It speaks about this evaluation. And also we see it in 2 Corinthians 5. Well, Paul will speak about the primary objective here is to do all things well for our heavenly master, and to be well-pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat. This is when the evaluation takes place. The judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, do know, no amount of service, no amount of good work, no amount of giving to charity, no amount of religious observance will get you into the kingdom of God. You cannot attain eternal life by maybe grace and maybe good works. You cannot attain eternal life by being baptized as a child. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Now we understand that we will receive back from the Lord. So this ought to be another motivation or incentive in our serving this heavenly master, our Lord Jesus Christ. But do know, Christian, there is now therefore no condemnation for you, and this judgment is just a judgment on your work. You will enter the kingdom of God if you have been born again by the Spirit, and that is the only way you enter into the kingdom of God. It's by grace. So we see, summarizing here, employees are to honor and serve their employer just as they would Christ because it's commanded and because they will receive back from their real master for the work that they've done. And understand something, if that's you, Christian, and you don't feel appreciated, your efforts will not go unrewarded. For life is but a vapor. There's a whole lot more that's in store for us. Okay, whether slave or free, regardless of your condition, all Christians will be evaluated. And that end-year review, so it's not a pass or fail for salvation. Do know that. Now we look at verse 9. 
Now, verses 5 to 8, we focus on the spiritual obligations of the slave or the employee. Now we look at the command to the masters, and by implication, the supervisor or boss. It reads, And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that their master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. I'm going to read that again. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So we see this second category of people here. Now this is the supervisors. And understand, this is Christian. These are Christians. Context here is Christian. Supervisors, treat your employees fairly. Because you are not greater than them in God's eyes. Their identity is not slave. Your identity is not supervisor. You're part of the one new man in Christ. We see in chapter 2 of Ephesians. You are not greater than them in God's eyes. And you too are accountable to your heavenly master. Now, masters in the Greco-Roman world can certainly could be harsh and put practices into place That were very, very harsh. And by law, they were allowed to do that. They could beat a slave. They could imprison a slave. They could sell a slave. And they had the power to put slaves to death. And the text is explaining here that that's not the way of Christ. That's that's how the pagan world is. That's not who you and this new identity is. So masters, be accountable. It says, stop your threatening. By law, they could abuse them, as I've told you. But we must work. If you are a supervisor here today, I don't want this to get lost on you. How many of you lead people? You, too, are accountable, if you are in Christ, to your heavenly master as well. So treat them fairly. The Christian supervisor will sit down at the end of his life for his and your review as well, and he too will receive back from the Lord. Realize that there is no partiality with God. What does this mean? They are brothers and sisters in Christ, the primary identity. And while you have authority over them, rule them in such a way that is pleasing to God. Keep them accountable. They are called to work for you. But remember, you both belong to the same heavenly master. Remember that both of you have received grace. And grace is the great equalizer. Grace makes the ground level. You do not enter the kingdom of God by your rank, by your status, by your achievements. Those beam of seat judgment may be your achievements, but you don't get there on that. You will not enter the kingdom of God by charitable deeds and service. I want you to know that if you've never heard this before, if you think that maybe I can believe in Jesus Christ, the concept of Christ, believe in some gospel I was taught, but yet I have to do something to get that righteousness, you're wrong. You don't need to do that. I have good news for you. Now, there is only one door 
that a person can enter into this kingdom of God. But getting to that door, we'll talk about the door, is a little aisle. It's like a little pathway here that will lead to a door. And that is the road or the path of grace through faith alone. Now, Jesus said something in John 9.9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Getting to that door, the only means is by grace through faith. There are many who would want to get to that door and try other means and methods. You can't do it. So, Christian employees and Christian supervisors live in a way that honors God. Excuse me. And live in a way that honors God. How you live towards one another should be God-honoring because both of you are part of the same kingdom. Both of you are part of the same body and both of you are part of you have both have the same master. Now, let's look at some implications that this text draws out as it pertains to work. As it pertains to work, for one. Now, for many of us here, myself included, the primary reason for work is to pay the bills, right? That is an important reason to work, and it's a necessary reason as well. But there's some motivating factors when you realize that you're working for Christ alone, when you realize that he is your heavenly master. A mundane job, routine job, can suddenly become an enriching experience. It can suddenly take on a new, a new identity. It can suddenly become intriguing when Christ is in the test. I would also add, for some of the younger people who have not yet found their vocation, what they want to do. If you're in Christ, you're going to be doing it unto the Lord. So find something that you're passionate about. Find something that you really look forward to doing, as whatever depends on you. Now, work can be difficult. Amen? It's one of the more difficult things for some people. But when you are working for Christ, you are better able to deal with difficult situations. And why is that? When you visualize Jesus in the back row, when you visualize Jesus on the truck sitting next to you, when you visualize Jesus as part of your work, you will deal with difficult situations a little differently. You may have more wisdom. You may ask God for wisdom in the difficult situation. If Christ is in this thing, you may maintain your temperament. When you perhaps you want to lose your cool, you will be better able, maybe positive, possibly, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in wisdom. Also, now, when working for Christ as your heavenly master, you will be better able to deal with difficult people. Now, an example we see in this text, it's about Christian, Christian. But the reality is, for many of us, we're not going to be part of a Christian, maybe, organization. You're, uh, you're, the people work underneath you for the supervisors and for the employees, they may not be Christian. 
and maybe they will be Christian. But when we look at 1 Peter 2, there's something very interesting when it comes to dealing with difficult people. You may have someone who's harsh. They're unreasonable. 1 Peter 2.18 tells us how to respond in those situations. For the servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under the sorrows of suffering unjustly. So there are some implications and applications when you have this mindset of working for Christ. Now, seeing things as the text tells us here, as serving a heavenly master, will this change the way you approach everyday life? We've looked at the job, but in whatever we do, we're a doulos of Christ. So this may change the way we approach everyday life. Now, Christian brother and sister, Ephesians continues to bring us into a deeper knowledge of this new identity and revelation of who you are in this world. Your jobs, even your parenting, your marriage does not fully determine who you are. You are a servant of Christ, first and foremost. And all the other things we do should be an overflow to that identity and that truth. Because it is in Christ that we live, move, and exist. In Christ. And we are to do what we are to do for the glory of God. So an application that must be made here is... What we do matters, how we do it matters, and to whom we do it matters. Now, friend, maybe this is your first time here, and maybe you've not heard a message like this. The Bible makes that distinction clear that I have stated. There's not a middle ground like neutral. There's no purgatory. There's no, well, I'm kind of halfway right now. You're either in the kingdom of God, you're either a slave of Jesus Christ, or you are in the kingdom of darkness, you're a slave to sin. But when you surrender your life into the loving hands of a Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, Romans 6.18 tells us that you will be set free from sin and you will become a slave of righteousness. This doesn't mean you get everything together on the next day. This is a lifelong process. But you make that jump positionally into that righteousness. And you don't go back because it is Christ who does it for you. What is it, friend, that you are serving? Is it a career? Is it money? Is it lust? Be truthful with yourself. We've all gone down this road. We're not singling you out. The Apostle Paul writing this called himself the chief of sinners. We got a couple of chief of sinners here in Staten Island, in Brooklyn, in New Jersey. There's certain categories, some things that we did in the past. But Christ, Christ alone, Christ saved us. 
Is it usurping maybe some religious practice, some spirituality? Maybe it makes you feel good. It can make you feel good, but it will not give you eternal life. You must enter through that door, I told you, that is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Now, for Christian, are you serving something else? Are you bearing with the weight of the law? Do you feel like you're just never good enough? Whatever you do, it just never satisfies. I want to remind you, don't forget what Paul writes in Galatians 5.1. And for friends, this can be your reality as well. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to any yoke of slavery, any religious system, anything. Don't be bound by any yoke of slavery, any sinful patterns, whatever it is. Friend, are you under the yoke of slavery to something? Be not under that yoke, but be under the yoke of Jesus Christ. Be under His yoke, and you know what that's like? He invites you, and He says this. This is a general call. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What kind of yoke is this? Christ says, My yoke is is easy, and my burden is light. If this is your first time here in the church, I would ask that you join us up here. Pastor George will be up here. Come say hello. Maybe you have questions about the new birth. Maybe you have a question, something you heard here today. Maybe you've never heard this before. We're happy that you're here. I could say that with the deepest sincerity. And the life in Christ is a fulfilling life. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the instructions that have been given, the revelation of the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that we must look at things from your perspective. Father God, I I declare that we are your people. We are your holy nation, Lord. Your own special people. And if Father God and Jesus Christ and and, and, and the Spirit, the Trinity, we are proclaiming the excellencies that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Who am I? that you, I should be here and say these things. Oh, Lord, how wonderful is grace. Grace is available. I pray, Lord, that souls get saved by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.